This is the Social Distance Podcast and this is the first episode of Season 2 and you're very welcome. Uh, If you didn't know Season 1 had actually finished, um, I didn't really know myself and I didn't really realise that this was going to be Season 2. What happened was that um, after the last three episodes in which I was speaking to my friend Lisa Phillips about the death of her mother, I find it really hard to go back and keep recording and... Um, I guess at some sort of subconscious level, something was telling me that I needed to take a break. So it's been a month since I recorded anything. And uh, today's episode is the first um, of a new wave of recordings that we're going to do. And I'm hoping to reconnect with some of the folks that we spoke to first time around and see how things are going where they are, whether that's in Italy or Sri Lanka or in Uganda. So so that's what I'm going to be doing and working on over the next few weeks. And something I wanted to let you know about as well is that um, we are interested in speaking to anyone really who has been directly affected by COVID um, through its impact on a loved one. Um, speaking to Lisa about the death of her mom from COVID really seems to have affected a lot of people and it's made us think that it would be really worthwhile to collect as many stories as we can from folks who have lost loved ones from COVID and who want to talk about that person and want to sort of remember who they were as real people with, you know, lives of the kinds that we all have, full of successes and failures and... um dramas and flaws and happiness and challenges, I guess. Um, And I think really part of what that's about is helping people understand that this affects actual living human beings with stories, with histories, with pasts and with dreams. Um, And it's not just about numbers. You know, it's strange how everything becomes reduced in numbers because sometimes it seems like a way of making sense of things or a way of keeping track of things. And other times the numbers make it harder to actually relate to what's going on on a human level. So today, this first episode of season two, the what we're now calling season two, um, is a bit of a departure. You're going to hear again the voice of my friend Lisa Phillips and this time she's doing the interview and she's speaking with her brother Kevin Phillips. Um, Kevin also lives in Phoenix, Arizona and um, at the time I'm recording this, Arizona has recorded 195,005 cases of COVID-19 and as of August the 18th, 2020, 4,506 deaths. One of those deaths was Kevin and Lisa's mom, Renee Self, who died on July the 6th of this year. So with that, here is Lisa Phillips. Before we get started, I wanted to take a moment to express uh, my gratitude for all of the feedback I've had on the conversations we've had so far. It helps um, bring me some hope 
that people are caring and that folks want to do their best to bring an end to this pandemic and to keep people safe. Unfortunately, we've lost a lot of folks already. And for those who wanna share their stories with me, I'd love to hear them. I'd love to have an opportunity to talk with you if, if you're open to it. I have an email address that you can send an email to if you're interested in sharing your story with me. You can write to COVID, C-O-V-I-D, at G-R-R-L dot org. That's COVID at G-R-R-L dot org. I know there are a lot of us and there's going to continue to be more of us who've had this experience of losing a loved one to COVID. And I think it's important for us to feel like we've got a space where we can share our stories and uh, feel comforted by, by knowing that we're not alone. So with that said, I'm going to start by um, introducing my brother, Kevin Phillips. Kevin, hey. why, don't, why don't you tell me a little bit about um, where you are? Uh, hi, thanks for having me here. Glad to be here. Happy to hear from you. Um, I am in uh, Phoenix, kind of North Phoenix area, Arizona. Um, living with uh, my partner, who's a doctor, and my children half the time. And before the experience of, of our mom getting sick, what did you uh, think about what was going on with COVID-19 in Arizona? And what was your experience with it? Um, so I was staying with uh, my mother, our mom, uh, when this first started kind of spreading across the U.S. And um, because I was dating someone who is, works partially in public health, she kind of gave me a heads up like, yo, you might want to she doesn't talk like this. This is, this is my interpretation. <laughs> she was like, check it. No, she was like, you might, you know, you might, she was really concerned. She has some underlying health issues. She knows uh, mom did. And she kind of gave me a heads up like, hey, I was visiting her one day and she's like, you should just stay here. Things are getting bad. Uh, I was a big public transportation advocate beforehand. Um, and she's like, no more public transportation, no more going to your mother's. And, um, you know, I, I knew it was coming, but uh, I didn't realize, I don't think, like, how, <laughs> how stupid people would be. And I, I, you know, that's not right. Hold on. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize how things would necessarily progress. I feared it. And so uh, I moved back in with her and um i've been here ever since and uh unfortunately did not get to see mom you know the whole reason i left there was to not get her sick because i knew i had i shared custody with my youngest coming back and forth and that was going to be you know a risk factor and i didn't want to expose mom to that and so uh, i've been here ever since and it was uh interesting can you talk a little bit more about 
kind of the considerations that you made and the changes that you made in your life, um, you know, as, as we've had COVID-19, you know, become um, so prevalent here in Phoenix, like what kind of changes, you know, obviously all of us have made changes to our lives, but sort of what that looks like for you in terms of the major changes you've made. Um, yeah, so we kind of, so I am in a recovery program called Narcotics Anonymous. Um, and we kind of had a, a saying there a little bit, um, when the pandemic started getting bad and the stay at home orders started happening. And we said, well, you know what? We're a group of people who are used to withdrawing from other people who are used to uh, dealing with some tough stuff and, um, you know, used to being sick at times, used to, you know, it, it seemed like uh, recovering addicts were pretty prepared for a lot of this. Mm -hmm. you know, we're used to loss, we're used to um, staying away from people and stuff. And because that's kind of the process of addiction is to withdraw from others and only surround yourself by people who are going to, you know, uh, make you feel better or whatever. And so um, that's not part of recovery, but that's part of addiction. And so there was a lot of it that, that wasn't that drastic of a life change for me to stay inside <laughs> and not talk to people. Uh, the, the actual, if anything, for me, it was kind of um, uh, reconnecting with a lot of people online. Um, I'd never been to an in-person meeting. I've only been to online meetings and everybody kept saying, oh, that's got to be tough. It's tough to get through this program online only and we miss the hugs and we miss all this stuff. And I'm like, I, you know, I live, I already live my life online. Uh, that's where my job is most of the time. And that's where, you know, that's where I'm most comfortable. That's where I would keep in contact with a lot of family and stuff. But to have that increase was you know, one of the aspects, be able to talk to you, talk to our siblings and stuff more often um, was a really positive side of it. The downside is, is that once you start talking to people more often, once you start seeing, you know, you, you want to go see them, you want to get a hug from them and stuff yeah. like that. Now people try to come up and give me hugs. I, I feel like a jerk, but I'm like, whoa, step back, man. What are you doing? You know? Totally. Uh, I have the same, same sort of <laughs> thing where I wasn't exactly like out hugging people that much before. So, uh, it wasn't that big of a change, but, um, but now I still, but now I miss it. Um, so, you know, when I talked with Dom, um, a couple episodes ago, I talked about, um, this was before that she got, my, uh, that mom got sick, uh, I talked a bit about sort of what it was like being in Phoenix, like walking out the door. And um, I, I guess uh, the other thing I talked about is the um, advice that I was given mom. And I was wondering if, if you had any other comments on conversations you had with mom, um, you know, or, or with our stepdad about uh, about COVID and, and about her risk. Yeah, um, I talked to her a lot 
uh, up until the last few weeks. And um, uh, she would call us, sometimes she would just bypass me completely and just call my partner, Jenna. And because Jenna had, you know, on top of the public health, she had ICU experience, she had, um, you know, she was the only doctor that I think that mom knew. And so even though, you know, her focus now is, is like cancer research and stuff, but still, um, she has a lot of relevant experience. And so, but mom would call her with like every little thing. And, and half the time it seemed like she was kind of trying to get permission to do things sometimes. Like she constantly kept bugging us about coming swimming over here. <laughs> and I was just like, you can't come swimming. Like this is before we had a, a, a understanding about that the risk is really low if you're outdoors, you know, yeah. practically never, um, as long as you stay away and stuff. But I have a seven-year-old who doesn't understand mm -hmm. social distancing very well. He, you know, he does all right most of the time. But anyway, so she was constantly calling about that. And then um, she called one day uh, as we got closer to the end of the stay-at-home order and wanted uh, help in convincing her husband um, I don't know if she was, it wasn't that she was said specifically, but the general idea was her husband wanted to go back to doing, uh, hosting their karaoke show and uh, she was struggling with that. And so we got on and um, I, you know, we were telling her I wasn't safe. I was telling her about, the, you know, you can't go inside, you can't go into these indoor places, you can't go, uh, you can't speak into the microphone and a lot of the stuff I know uh, as it comes from my partner as well, by the way. I'm not like, I don't have any advanced understanding of anything. So, um, but certainly, I, you know, I, I heard you kind of mention once, like um, telling her that uh, if she got sick, she wasn't going to make it. She was going to die. And I told her that maybe 20 times in conversations with her. And I repeatedly, I told her husband that. And I told them, and I said, you cannot do it. No amount of money is worth doing this. And I helped and I offered to help uh, her husband and her figure out how to do karaoke online. Mm -hmm. And I proposed ideas for them. And I said, you know, you can, and I worked probably a few hours with her husband, one-on-one -on -one with him, trying to test out the quality of the audio and just a whole bunch of stuff. And I suggested maybe they just do like a mobile karaoke thing where they just put the stuff in the back of the truck i mean we we're just come up with any idea to not get them to go back to this bar and do karaoke and ultimately you know he didn't want to do that that's not the, the motivation wasn't really the money the motivation wasn't really um you know doing karaoke the motivation was going out to a bar i think so that's my feelings on it anyway so when we did find out um, that her husband was sick. Do you want to talk a little bit about your kind of your, what the experience was like for you, um, you know, find, in that process of finding out first, obviously, that he was sick? Um, I didn't know for sure they were going back out. I feel like that was something, or that he was going back out. I feel like that was something that mom was uh, did not want to share with me because she knew 
how much I disapprove from it. So the first I heard about, even, even Tony being sick was presented to me as like, oh, Tony hasn't been feeling that well. And we're just a little concerned. What kind of signs should we be looking for kind of thing, you know? And um, I was, I realized when he was sick, um, what had been going on and I, and then I, it took a little while before my anger with him really set in because I was more concerned with mom. But I knew the moment he got sick and I knew the moment he tested positive that mom was gonna get sick and that she, she was gonna test positive. And um, I mean, there's just, I, it's too contagious of a disease to not have, not get sick if you have two people living that closely together. Um, it's something my partner and I have discussed often. Like if one of us gets sick, the other's getting it too, like, or has it, you know, that's just, there's, there's no avoiding that. Yeah. Too close. Um, but I just, uh, statistically and the information, I just, I didn't, I knew that she probably wasn't going to make it but I was trying to hold out hope up I mean, until the point. From the beginning? From the yeah, beginning. from the beginning. From the beginning, I just, like, I knew the numbers. I knew the, her underlying conditions. The numbers with that people with type 2 diabetes, uh, like half the people that have passed or something. I heard some crazy stat. Like, I don't know the exact numbers, so don't quote me on any of this. But <laughs> a large number of people that have passed from COVID have had uh, either, like, type two diabetes or hypertension, like there's cer certain underlying conditions that just really don't mix well with it. And she had, she had like three out of four of those or something. And um, so I just knew statistically, she had a really, she did not have good chances. And once, once they started talking about putting on her ventilator, um, my partner called me and, or I called her and told her, hey, they're gonna put mom on a ventilator probably pretty soon, or I told her stats or her numbers or something, and she's like, they're going to put her on a ventilator soon. And once they do that, there's a good chance she's not ever going to come off it. And um, that's when it really hit me. And I just had to, I had sat down and I cried for a long time. And then I, and then I called you guys, trying not to sound panicked. <laughs> just being like, <laughs> I know that's <laughs> you guys might want to, if you have anything you want to say to her, you should probably say it before they put her on the ventilator. Like, how do you, how do you make that call to your siblings without exactly. sounding like you're giving up on your mom, you know? Well, actually, one of our brothers did make that call, remember? We <laughs> mentioned that. <laughs> Sometimes you don't want to do it too soon. It's a very, very delicate balance, for sure. Well, I think with most of you guys, I, I tried to give, like, a, don't sound like you're, this is, you're saying goodbye. Don't sound like, you know, you're, yeah. and I think I got, we got interrupted or something when I was talking with him and he just called up and was like, mom, I love you. All these things. You're a great mom, blah, blah. And then hung up like right at the end. And she was like, what the, what the heck? <laughs> she was like, what was that about? And, um, but you know, it was tough. It was tough, uh, coming to that realization. Luckily it didn't happen as soon as, um, I was concerned about it at the time and we got to talk with her a few more times and stuff and house party with her and stuff. And, um, 
and then as things start getting bad i'm like do i make that call again do i call everybody and tell them again like yeah. i just knew that you guys all knew like if she gets on the ventilator there's a chance that we're never going to talk to her again or be able to talk with her so take every chance you have until then so do you um were any of those because you the fact that you knew that um you know that might be one of the last times to chat with her but it, you also didn't want to be <laughs> too sort of depressing or scary um do you think there is anything in particular you got to chat with that you want to share um, with mom that maybe you wouldn't normally be chatting about with her no um no not really uh i I didn't have a lot of one-on-ones with her near the end. Um, and but my relationship with mom has been more like a friendship for a long time. Yeah. With her. And um, we bonded over child raising most of the time. And, and um, uh, we've had a lot of talks over the years just about the past and, and how I feel. and. So the only thing really left to talk with her about was just, um, and really we had a lot of talks about that too. I was gonna say it was just, you know, my struggles with addiction for the last few years. And, um, and she was kind of, you know, we talked a lot about that too. So there wasn't a lot to say, like, I don't feel like I didn't tell her stuff in general, like there's things I needed to say. And this, the stuff that I did, I got to say to her at the end. And um, I guess, yeah. So if I had advice for people, it's, it's you know, don't say your goodbyes or anything, but certainly, um, you know, treat, treat everybody that you love with, with the kind of respect and, and honesty that you would other times. So, I mean, someone just, I don't know. I didn't leave a lot unsaid with her, that's for sure. And and we had rough conversations, but we also I also fell back on like that I appreciated what she did even though it wasn't always perfect. So and when you were having these conversations with uh with mom in the hospital, like so obviously with, with COVID, we were limited. We weren't uh like very limited, we weren't allowed to go into the hospital, right, to visit. And so we were sort of limited to the devices that she could get access to uh, that she had or that other people had. Um, was there, did you feel like the experience was sort of limited in not being able to be next to her side? Good. Uh, definitely limited, right? Like, <laughs> but I think my maybe just it's my nature or something where I just wanted to try to make her feel better yeah like most of my focus was on making her smile and making her laugh making her you know letting her see her grandkids and then you know uh talk she had especially when she had like mask on and stuff and say she looked like she should be a sith lord or something I like had to say that to the kids so they weren't scared. Yeah. Star Wars. 
I'd talk to her and just be like, perhaps you're wondering where she, you know, like a Bane impersonation. Like, <laughs> so uh, it was limiting in that, you know, I wasn't there to, to hold her hand and to give her a hug um, like I have with other people in my life that have passed. Um, but, you know, and that was tough. That was just tough. But I know that's just the nature of, of the disease. And I don't know, it made me think a lot about uh, holding other people in my life and stuff like that. So. Mm -hmm. Did you get to, did you get to say goodbye? We, I know we had, so we, I know we had a goodbye conversation. Do you want to talk about that at all? We had the most, for a, a family of mostly, you know, I, IT people, we had the most ridiculous, <laughs> difficult time trying to have that final conversation with her. Was you know, the, yeah. Um, uh, it sounds like a lot of what I talked about, you know, and it was tough not knowing, like, if, if she's hearing this or not. And you can't see her because they essentially just put like an iPad in the room, and and her phone, her phone in the room on speaker or whatever. And and knowing that she's there in a prone position and with all sorts of tubes and masks, and she's uh, put in a coma or um, not a coma, sorry, or, um, she's sedated, and knowing that I'm talking to her. Um, kept coming into my mind as I was trying to talk to her because I know partially, you know, I tell everybody else, you know, this is, this is really for those of the rest of, you know, it's not necessarily, she may not hear this, but it could be really good for the people talking to her. But then when it got to my turn to talk, that, <laughs> that was a harder thing <laughs> to come to terms with, right? Like, this is, this, this is for me. And I just, you know, part of it is, it was just saying, well, I just have to have faith Faith is something that I've recently rediscovered in my life, uh, you know, through my own struggles and stuff. But uh, that, you know, she can hear me somehow, or if she can't hear me, then she just knows, or whatever it may be. And uh, you know, I told her a lot of the stuff I think that I've heard from others is just like that we're going to take care of each other, and um, and that we love her, and and that. You know, she, I, I understood that she did the best she could. And, and that was uh, the results of that. I have made some really awesome people. And so, um, and then I threw in some other stuff, but I'll keep that to myself. So. Yeah, well, we supposedly we, we had privacy. There is that element where, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't know what's happening in the room, to be honest. The first person to go was, was our brother. And he didn't understand what was going on, but basically he was supposed to, he had the phone. So the, the nurse took her phone and called his, the number he was on. Yeah. And he yeah. was supposed to then three-way call the next person, right? And get, and get them in. And so uh, he calls me and he's like, all right, I'm done. And I'm like, okay, all right, well, we'll go on and end them. Um, he didn't, nobody explained to him what he was supposed to do. So he had actually hung up with the <laughs> hospital and um, 
connected and I thought I was on with the hospital. So I started like saying stuff and I'm crying and all that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like a big mess. And I think he he was he was like listening and then realized he shouldn't be listening. <laughs> so he hung up. I don't know if he was listening or not, but in my head, like I was like, I had no idea who I was just doing this all to. <laughs> so, when, so when we finally got it all figured out and um and I got on, I was still hesitant. Like, is it, am I on? <laughs> is she listening? Is the nurse listening? Is my sister's listening? Who all's on this, right? So it was, um, but after like, a, a, you know, a minute, I was in the swing of things and it's just like, I don't care. I don't care if anybody's listening. And, uh, but I trust that, that the phone's there and, and I'll say what I need to say. And then Nicole recorded it all. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you know, when I when it was my turn, I um, it was actually a male nurse, Nurse Nan, who I had been talking to for a couple days because um, he had taken over care of mom uh, by then, and he so he was the one who's like super stoked to help us out with you know eight people talking to mom or whatever. And uh, I don't know. In my mind, I was like this is this real attractive guy. <laughs> In your mind. <laughs> I have no idea what he looks like, you know, or anything, but I'm just like, he could be this hot single guy, who knows? And now it's my turn. And he, like, he, I was, I was the one that had sort of called back, you know, after the hang up situation. And so it was like one of those, Things where I was like, I think he's there right now. Who knows who's there right now? It's just a very weird experience to not have any, to have such little visibility into a hospital room. Um, because you, there's just a certain way that, you know, there's things that happen at the end of a person's life. And one of them is that you, you sort of watch this ritual of, our doctors and nurses <laughs> and it's very you know it's very odd not to see that you know for sure I feel like I and correct me if I'm wrong I feel like we kind of grew up with a distrust for people in the medical profession that's true yes um and I struggled with that a lot from the time that mom went into the hospital um and just anybody really, but um, not just when mom went in, anytime anybody's gone to the hospital, I feel like, you know, well, the doctor's saying this, but what's really going on, you know? <laughs> and um, having a partner who had worked in the ICU really helped in that aspect of, of hey, these, these people are there day in and day out trying to keep her alive. There's, the last thing they want is to watch another person go. They're doing everything they can to keep her and comfortable, to keep her getting better. Like they are struggling and fighting to do this. She's like, I've worked for years in the, in the ICUs and stuff. I never once saw somebody just be like, you know what? Let's just, oh, whatever. Let's, we, could, we need the room. Let's just, whatever, you know. It's like yeah. they are struggling to keep, you know, if after, around the time that mom passed, hospitals started really filling out filling up and there probably were some decisions that had to be made about who they could care for or not but she was like 
you know, your mom's already there. They're not going to try to rush her out. And, and nothing we saw suggested that at all. But there's still that, like, family distrust of medical people. And it's like, <laughs> I feel like there's always an element of, like, we might be able to sue someone after this, you know? I don't know. Not might be, but, like, we should. We should sue someone from this because, of, you know, that's that's our tool. That's, that's, like, one of the only tools we have to feel like we have control to respond to, like, thinking that a doctor is making a poor decision. Um, but, yeah, uh, your Jenna is just, like, absolute godsend on the perspective and understanding what it might be like for the ICU doctors and nurses and things like um, letting them know what our desires were about how they were taking care of mom on, for example, the topic of sedation. Also things like I would call and specifically ask, you know, what's actually a good time for you based on your schedule and the way, what does your day look like? for me to get updates for you. Like, how can we do this so that I'm not like totally annoying you, but I'm still getting updates. And I think that, you know, I feel like Jenna's like, you know, sort of reminding us that they're human on that side. And like, just having that conversation can be everything, especially when we're not sitting there next to our bedside. She was both a controlling element to help help me personally like when we weren't on calls and stuff like that and also a uh a panic <laughs> like, like like she wouldn't panic but she would tell me stuff and I, i'd start panicking and i'd be like what i know i feel like i don't know if i can hear what jenna's gonna say i can tell the look in her eyes as i'm telling her those numbers right now <laughs> she, yeah she also would constantly say to me like I'm telling you this because I know you and I know you want, like, here's the reality of this situation right now. Mm. She's like, I would not be saying this, you know, to other people that like everybody kind of needs something different. For me, I needed to know what are all the possibilities? What are the chances? What are we looking at here? Both prepare myself and to just like, uh, to understand, like to understand Cause that's just how that's the kind of person I am. I'm a numbers person. Like I want numbers all the time. I want stats. I want, I want to weigh percentages and options and stuff. And so, you know, there were times where she, you know, she was pretty good about giving it to me straight. And then there was times where she could see I was breaking down and she'd be, so if that's representative of people in the medical profession and people in the ICU, then I don't, you know, I feel bad I ever didn't trust them. So. And also they're having to, they're having to get our phone calls um, instead of being able to be there and get updates. And so, you know, it's just a very different way of interacting with, um, with medical professionals for sure. Um, so, uh, Mom went into, I'm actually starting to lose the dates already. Um, She was in the hospital for a total, I think, of 10 days, and six of them were in the ICU. I might have it, I may have it actually wrong. 10 
I've already gotten it wrong. I'm confusing it. I feel like she was only out of the ICU for like two days. Is that not right? I feel like they moved her there on like the second or third day. Yeah, you're right. I think she was in the, she was intubated for six days. So that means she must have been in the ICU for like eight days because um, she was in that Star Wars mask for a couple days. Uh, and then we, you know, had, uh, after she had been intubated for six days, her um, organs were showing signs of, of uh, failure. And we had been talking anyway. Uh, actually, the doctors had, had called us a few days before that and sort of prepared us that she was not doing well and started talking about the idea of withdrawing life support. What was that like for you? Uh, I had previously had a conversation that I didn't share with you guys with my partner, with Jenna. And uh, based on how things were going, based on what the doctor, a lot of times she would translate what the doctors and nurses meant, you know, when totally. they tell us, she'd be like, here's what this actually means. <laughs> uh, and she had kind of prepped me a bit for it and saying that, um, you know, it seems like at this point, what the stuff they're doing is more for you guys, not necessarily for her. And, um, you know, they're, they're hopeful and stuff, but um, it was, yeah, it was, it was tough. Uh, and when they said it, I was immediately more concerned about that kind of um, hanging on attitude. It's very understandable. I'm not saying it's wrong or anything, but that wanting to hope for that miracle. And I, and I know we did, we ended up going like a day or two, but at a certain point it was, um, okay, we can hope for a miracle, uh, but if we keep hoping for too long, she's gonna just pass without any choice or option, without saying goodbye, without all of these things. And so there is a level of um, wanting wanting us to um, make that decision together. And it was uh, hard that not everybody was making, wanting to make that decision. And it was days, I felt like, it was probably like, you know, 30 hours or something, but it felt like days, <laughs> days, days yeah. um, of just, I, I, you know, at one point someone said like, I, I don't want these updates anymore or something along those lines. And it's cause it was hard. It's hard. It's struggle. It's a struggle. Like, did she make it through the night? Is she going to make it through today? If she, you know, at what point, you know, we're, we're holding on, but also, um, we're not, we weren't necessarily holding on for her. Really. We we're holding on for ourselves and our, and our hope and not wanting to let go. And, um, I think that that was kind of the hardest part at that time. Of course, once, you know, when she was gone, that's a whole different issue, but. Um, How much do you think that um, it being that she was sick with COVID-19, a virus that we don't 
no, we don't have a lot of understanding about yet. How much do you think that fed into like folks not wanting to sort of face that she was deteriorating, you know, and especially so rapidly? I think the, yeah, the unknown elements of COVID, the not knowing what it looks like, the not knowing why some people suddenly get better and, and some people don't, not knowing why some people make it through and some people don't stuff was um, a really probably a large factor. I, well, I say that, but with, it, it was definitely a hard thing to understand and come to terms with. Um, that I think that family distrust of medical, like I've seen it with other people that have passed where we have family members that just don't want to let go. You know, don't, they want to, want to keep and, with, and, that, and I totally understand it. I'm not trying to be critical of, of someone like that, but, um, it was hard with COVID-19. I think the combination of the unknowns, not being able to be there, not being able to see her and, and, what she was looking like. Because in our minds, right, she she still, she was laughing even though she was wearing a mask, you know? And and to be able to go, and to go from that to being like, yeah, now we have to make a decision to let her go. Like that, that was hard. That was tough. And it's it's not easy at all. And it was fast. It was fast, yeah. You know? Yeah. It was, and I think in my mind anyway, from getting updates, it was hey, you never know with COVID, like people survive, like that kind of update to, well, and actually her numbers weren't terrible. They, they weren't great, but they were, you know, it's possible she could have survived. And then the next call was like, hey, which your mom's not going to recover. And it just felt that fast to me. I, I think there were signs, like Jen, Jenna probably saw that there were signs earlier than that but that's how it felt to me she followed a really this is some of the stuff so after a while this is another thing that after a while i felt like people were not wanting to talk to me because <laughs> i would constantly be like that's not good actually. i know that sounds good but that's actually not good and, yeah yeah you know, uh, yeah but if you if you look at for people with her underlying conditions and the reports and data that we have, she followed a very relatively standard um, like process, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't think of, uh, process for like the steps that she, as she deteriorated, as it got worse. If you look at other people that have died from COVID, it wasn't all that, like it was pretty much right in line. It and was. That was something that, that Jenna had pointed out to me and, um, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep this to myself. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, there was just a lot of, first of all, there's a lot of people um, getting updates. And, you know, I think, like you said, some people didn't want updates. Um, I think some people heard updates and it was very, very awkward, I thought, because people would hear updates and I thought the update was negative it was a bad sign, for example, like, oh, there's been no improvement to, uh, there's been no change, sorry, in, you know, her, her oxygenation level. 
and we'd have people saying, oh, that sounds great. We're so great. You know, like, thank God for miracles. And it's like, no, 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 not having any change is a bad thing. <laughs> yes, there was, there, there was some, like, um, her oxygen kept dropping, so they kept increasing the amount of oxygen they were pushing her in. And it would go up into the 90s for a little while, and then it would drop back down in the 80s eventually, and they'd change machines, or they'd the high-flow thing. Like, first it was just, like, the tubes in the nose, and then it was uh, high-flow oxygen, and then it was, like, through the nose, I believe, still. And then it was a mask pushing oxygen. And then, like, it started at, like, 80%. And then they'd go, like, eventually went up to 100%. And each time, the her oxygen levels would jump up again to the 90s. But then they would kind of slowly drop. And every time it'd jump up, people would be like, oh, that's great. Like, right. Isn't that great, though? <laughs> but, you know, you know what really helped a lot was having and I'm not just doing this because you're, you're running the podcast, is having you be that central person communicating with the hospital and then communicating out to everybody else and you had notes written down and you're sensitive as to what each person was ready for at times and stuff like that. So um, that, was, that was huge and, and helped me a lot because I didn't, I, you know, I just took what you said and then went from there and processed it on my own whereas you had this little time to process these things on your own yeah i didn't turns out it comes out a lot uh, later i guess is what i can say um so you know you mentioned it being hard well so you know you something i'm you know forever grateful for is once we did make the hard decision um, as a family to ask the, the doctor to withdraw life support. Um, <laughs> you, uh, you volunteered to join me in the phone call. And we called, we called the nurse first, but he kind of was like, I'm the wrong person, call the doctor. Um, <laughs> That was another, like, here's another serious situation that just ran into a whole bunch of goofs. Uh, yeah, I, I had offered, because uh, I, you know, I realized it didn't seem right that any one of us, even though technically you had to tell the doctor, you had to make that call. It just, to me, you didn't have to do it alone and you didn't have to be the one to say it first or anything right I thought maybe I could say it and then you could just confirm it and um so uh Jenna helped prep me a bit on how to say it and what to say and stuff and you know prep me emotionally or whatever and um we dialed me in and the nurse is already on the line and and you introduce me and I tell him I'm like you know we talked as a family, we made this decision and we would like what life, you know, we'd like support withdrawn. And he's like, hold on a second. And he like had a mask on and stuff. And he had, so he had to go take all his stuff off and then come back. And he's like, sorry, what was that? And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I tell him again. And he's like, oh, you got to tell the doctor that. Hold on. <laughs> I was like, oh man. And then yeah, the it's true because he every time the nurses answer the if they answer they don't they often don't but nurse Dan did 
also he knew I think where we were at with my mom but every time they answer they answer the phone <laughs> if they're in the room with the patient they're wearing just like that full outbreak outfit you know yeah, yeah so <clears throat> they typically don't really but he uh you know he knew why we were calling I think so uh but yeah so then he sends us over to the doctor yeah and then you're prepping the doctor you tell him I'm on the line and then I'm ready to say it for the third time and you I like started to talk but I interrupted you and I said sorry Lisa go ahead and I meant like go ahead finish what you were saying but instead, you just told the doctor, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay." I just had one of those moments too, where like I had was like, I, "This is really hard. I think this is going to be the hardest thing I ever do in my life." And I'm sitting here, just you know, I have obviously my brother, my phone, my sister was next to me um, in support, which was great. But I was also like, "You just got to do it." It's just when it's like ripping a bandaid off, you know. And so, yeah, it wasn't uh graceful i guess yeah. <laughs> and i was left there like uh yeah what she said yeah yeah i agree not that it matters to you doctor because you've never talked to me ever before but i agree with her on this the person who has medical power of attorney he was very nice to you i thought yeah he was he was, he was very sweet he was I could tell, you know, I mean, this is a guy who is, you know, there's not that many ICU doctors, I don't think. Um, I don't know how many there are actually, but it seems like there's not a ton of them. And he's here taking the time to, and he's, you know, he had told me, I think the day before, you know, he's like mentioned, uh, he had never intubated as many people, um, in his career. Either he had never intubated or he never removed one of those. Something that was not great, you know? And so it's it was interesting, like over the last, over the few days I got to talk with him, um, feeling like I developed a little bit of a, of a relationship, even though he was obviously in the middle of warfare, you know? I've actually been thinking a lot about him and Nurse Dan and and all the other nurses whose names you wrote down who I don't remember. I have them, yes. Uh, we wrote, we sent them a, a meal and we sent them a card as well. Yeah. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about, about them lately and just appreciation for them and, and uh, for going through that, you know. I mean, you watch, anybody that's watched like medical shows where, you know, someone dies every episode, but still like you see the emotions that these people go through and I know they're medical shows and they you know they probably play it up or whatever but still it's every single person that that dies under their care has got to be just emotionally and just you either have to cut yourself off emotionally which is you know not good for human beings in general <laughs> or, <laughs> or you have to feel it which is also you know leading to a lot of people in the medical profession having PTSD from from this experience so. so we gave the orders I know this is getting harder but we gave the orders on um, what did you I wasn't with you at that time we just were on the phone together so 
What did you do during that period of time after we gave the orders, before we got the phone call? I uh, dove into uh, being a dad. I had my boys here and um, I just, I was like, I can't fall apart right now. And so I took care of them. I watched bad action movies. I watched, you know, like, I was like, these are the things that, that, um, sorry, one sec. Can you edit this part out? Okay. Speaking of. So, yeah. It was just Indy coming to say hi. And yeah. Um, yeah. I'm talking about diving into being a father while I thoroughly ignore my children. <laughs> my my uh, teenage son, he's like, uh, I got guitar lessons. Can someone watch oh, no. my so I was like, yeah, in a little bit. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, they're virtual, right? I watched, yeah, I watched a lot of... Um, dumb action movies, comedy movies. I stayed away from any, you know, mother-son themes. Mm -hmm. Stayed away from, uh, and you know, it wasn't that long between the time that, that we talked to the no, doctor. No, it was, it was about, I'm gonna say, we called the doctor at 610, 6, 615 and I got the call from nurse Dan at about 715 yeah I basically I knew what was coming but in my mind like she wasn't there yet right so I just had to keep myself busy keep my mind busy until then because I knew I was going to get another call and um yeah, so I just turned off my brain, I guess. So. What about when you did get that call? Yeah, then I broke down. Yeah. <laughs> then I totally broke down and everything I had been saving up for the last couple of weeks um, started coming out. I still had my boys here and I didn't want to, but I think at that by that point, I had one here. Just my teenage son was here. Um, and... Uh, I I went and told him, and he gave me a big hug, and then went back to playing his Xbox, and then, uh, which I respect. I was like, yeah, you better make some money off that. A song. lot, you know. And then I went back into the room and just curled up under the bed, under the sheets, and and uh, I came out for the podcast. That's that's what I did. I was gonna say you've been there since then. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. Yeah. I did not talk much to my siblings for a while. Like we had been talking pretty regularly, pretty often during that whole experience. And I kind of withdrew a bit. Um, withdrew from from a lot of things for a while, but not from you know the people in my bubble here, but from people outside my bubble. 
part of it was just, I feel like when I, when you go through something like this, I had to reevaluate how much risk am I willing to take? Like I've lost my mother and, and I, I could lose any one of my other family members or loved ones. And while that's always been true, there's something about the reality of losing your mother or losing a loved one to COVID that made me, even though I was probably one of the strictest people I know when it came to social distancing, wearing a mask, hand sanitizer, washing hands and all that, um, I, I re had to reevaluate, like, how often should I go to the store? What's what's like what what's considered need to go to the store? You know, uh, how often am I my my children going back and forth? Like, do we need to reevaluate that? Like, it was just a lot of reevaluate reevaluating. And besides that, uh, there's a lot of anger, a lot of anger towards my wife's husband. Or sorry, my mother's husband Ooh, maybe I should edit that out <laughs> there's a lot of your wife's husband you yeah 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 it's like a Freudian slip there um and a lot of anger towards the government the, the governor a lot of anger towards the president a lot of anger towards people that listen to them a lot of anger towards just oh I I try to you know, not have anger, not have fear, not have regret, right? That's part of the part of the program I'm in. And uh, that was a real struggle for me and has been. Uh, something I've been talking more about during my meetings. It's just, uh, it's not good for me, even though these there may be people that are um, maybe in my mind worthy of that anger, worthy of of disrespect and stuff um that's not the point the point is it's not good for me to be angry it's not good for me to have regret and fear and so um it's been a since since then it's been a process of trying to turn that around to acceptance and love and hope so that's good well, I didn't say I, I did it. I'm just, I'm just saying I'm working on it. I mean, I, I've done the same. I've had to do the same because, yeah, it doesn't. I also have went to anger pretty quickly. We're related. I'm sure it's not a surprise that we go to anger so quickly. But um, what is that? Anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That the same? I think I got that totally wrong. I have no idea. <laughs> Does that make sense? Is that a no? Yeah, it totally makes sense. Okay, yeah. yeah. All right, that's the same. <laughs> it's familiar, but I don't know. I don't know the saying either. Uh, so yeah, so I think about that, but you know, it's not. Um, <clears throat> it's not super effective or fruitful for me. Uh, it can exist. And I can put it in a parking lot for me to deal with when it's appropriate, right? But having it come out uh, when you're not expecting it or when it's not appropriate, time is not great and can make your situation worse. So. Yeah. 
I think there's a lot of people that think that you have to be angry to uh, disapprove. You have to be angry to, to like, if you're not angry, that you're accepting a behavior. Exactly. And that's not necessarily, I don't think that's true. It's not true for me. Like I can not, I can be like, well, the things you're doing are killing people. The things by not wearing a mask, by going out there and not social distancing and stuff is literally killing people. And that, and any, any reasonable person should be something that, that we should be angry about. Um, but I don't think that it's good for me to be angry about it. And I can still think it's wrong. Yeah. So I think it's wrong. And I, I just, it's just essentially how I approach it. Instead of approaching it with anger and pushing people away, maybe, or getting in fights over it or arguing with people on social media, which I did a lot of initially, um, especially after, you know, you, you posted about mom. And then I was found myself on Twitter arguing with people over medical things, over all sorts of things. Um, you know, and, and I'm just feeding the trolls when I do that, I feel mm -hmm. like. So now I, I try to be like, well, you know, I, I don't have to be angry and I can be understanding without accepting that it's okay. So that's what I'm trying to work on. I think you're doing a good job. So just sort of kind of but at the same time, fuck those guys. <laughs> yeah, definitely fuck those guys. You know, and wear a mask. That's it. Wear a fucking mask. Stay the fuck home. And fuck you or if you think there's some problem with those two ideas. Um, is how I feel about it. So uh, after, so after she's gone and we did the funeral. Well, what, the, what was the funeral like? What was the funeral like? I guess I should say, because, you know, that's another thing that's very different in terms of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, it was, it was tough. Uh, when I walked up to the funeral, um, my aunt was walking out, our aunt, and I saw her and she had been crying and uh, I just wanted to go up and, and give her a hug and hold her. And um, she wanted to do the same to me because as soon as I saw her, I started crying. And um, that was probably the hardest, like I must observe social distancing rules I've had to deal with um, where I just had to be like, you know, she kind of made a move a little bit not committed to it, but a little bit, and I kind of stepped back a little bit, you know, just enough, and I, I shrugged or put my arms up. I don't remember exactly, but eventually I just said, tell you what, she was with her partner, she was with her husband, I was with my partner, and I said, tell you what, I'll have Jenna give give me a hug for you, and Brandon, you give her a hug for me. And, that's oh, what I do. and then um, once I got inside, uh, it was, I heard voices. I didn't know where to go. I was just confused. Like it wasn't like there's like, oh, here's all these people. It was like here's a couple people talking somewhere in this building. I don't know where to go. I don't know where it is. 
there's an usher guy, but he tried to get too close to me and I'm getting away from him. And, you know, it was just like, uh, eventually they t- show me where to go. And I'm still like, I'm, 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 you know, I'm a little teared up or whatever. And, and as soon as I walk in and the place is more or less, there's like three or four people from my family sitting there. And, uh, I see, I see mom up at the front in her casket and I just, I just, I essentially fell back and, and had to sit down. Luckily there were chairs right there. And, um, that was really hard. It was hard just cause I had not been dealing with a lot of stuff. I'd kept myself occupied. I'd kept myself busy. Um, I would cry, but just short periods of time. And I had not been dealing with a lot of the reality of it because really ultimately were just at home anyway. It's not like I was going and visiting her. So the difference between her being here and being gone wasn't that significant initially. Yeah. Because, you know, it's not that unusual to go a month without talking to her or go a couple of weeks without talking. And so there wasn't much change to the reality of her being gone for me initially. And then walking in there, it just knocked me off my feet. And then um, I realized I was sitting in the walkway <laughs> and everybody was passing me. And I was like, this isn't a, this is not the best social distance place to sit here. In and, the walkway. <laughs> yeah, in the walkway. Like, right, like everybody that came in or out had to walk right by me sobbing, right? Mm. Blowing my nose and stuff like that. And I was like, this is just, I had to keep pulling down my mask to wipe my nose. And, and I was like, this is not the ideal place to sit. So then I like moved. I started to move and there's nobody essentially between me and the front. Except, you know, there's a couple of people sitting there, but it's not, it's not like there's a bunch of people walking around and, and as, as I walk around, nobody's really going to notice if I walk up there or not to go see her mm-hmm. or, um, which is great for the pandemic. It's not so great for a funeral. Right. And because like, I don't, and generally as one of the older siblings, like I don't, I don't often show, like oh I'm I'm falling apart here, mm-hmm. and I don't maybe it's all of us, but I always felt a, somewhat of a need to be show some strength, exactly. and, I, and I had none, and the only people in there were the people that, like, I generally try to show strength in front of, right. and so um, so then I moved up a little bit. And then after like 10 minutes, I moved up a little bit more. And every time I moved up, I got, I got to see mom a little bit better, which made me, you know, break down more. And I wasn't planning on going up and seeing her. But um, when Jenna was like, well, I'm going to go up. And I realized, oh, if I'm going to go up, I, I need to go up with her. Um, that makes sense. So I went up and we didn't get too close, you know, because I didn't. And this thing about not wanting to see people after they die, like the, that image of them gets burned into my brain and then I can, and so I didn't get close enough for that to really happen, but I just got close and um, broke down again, had to go sit down again. But in general, it's weird because you're, you're with all these family members and their loved ones. You know, it wasn't, there was what, like 14 people? Yeah, 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 maybe 12 people in a room that's made for like a hundred or two, you exactly. know? And so, um, but it, it's, 
you ever walk into like a classroom and everybody's kind of sitting in the back and there's no more seats back there and you go sit in the front and you're just like the only one sitting up in front and it kind of feels a little awkward and weird or whatever or maybe you do it on purpose I don't maybe you love sitting in the front occasionally I did so it was kind of that feeling of like I'm intentionally sitting apart from you guys yeah it was very different I think if you know typically when you go to funerals well and I'm mostly familiar for Catholic funerals but like typically there's first of all a lot of people there and second of all you're sort of sitting together with your family like in the same rows you're sitting with your closest family I should say everybody's family but like your closest family's in your row and to me that's like you're sort of you know, your posse that's like your support during a funeral. And it felt like at the funeral, having to be socially distant and having so few of us and not having those extra support people that sometimes, you don't. you know, I never realized that those extra support people are, they're they're the extra players too that are important. They may not be the star players, but they're there to like, you know, catch you when you're falling, you know? Yeah. The um it was and it wasn't just I'm not here with my family. Like it wasn't like I'm not sitting with my family. We're not hugging kiss you know, I was gonna say kissing, that would be weird. <laughs> That's right, weird. <laughs> we're not, kissing on the cheek, yes. We don't, we don't want people to know that. Um, <laughs> we're like hugging and, and being close to each other. It's it's not like like not only do you not have that, but you are very intentionally distancing yourself from those people. Exactly. And it, it was just, very weird. Yeah. It was weird and didn't give you the, it didn't give you, there were certain things I think the funeral for me gave, um, like gave some solace. Um, but the, but the part of people attending and being in the rows and you know, that part was really, missing and made a big difference Um, well thank you kevin thank you anytime (laughs) take it down okay end no morning stop um i still i still break down sometimes um primarily like when i'm alone i have to be careful not to drive alone often if I'm like taking my picking up or dropping off my, my I know the I know that one. It's the old driving alone sobbing thing. Yes. And if you do drive alone, like don't put music on. That's <laughs> <gonna> help. <laughs> or put music on. One of the two. Depends on the kind of music I guess you're playing. But like sometimes I was um listening to a song by Journey. I want to say who Foreigner. I wanna know what love is. Yeah. R- ridiculous song. Like a great song. I love that song. Great song, yes, but very ridiculous. But great because of the cheese factor. Great, song, <laughs> right? And the last song I thought, but by the end of the song, I was like breaking down. I almost had to pull over, and I was like, "Oh, why?" Like, I thought I was safe with this song. <laughs> this song seemed safe to me. I don't um, even want to tell you the songs of it making me sobbing. <laughs> They're on the Yacht Rock radio station. I can't listen to it right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, if a Linda Ronstadt song comes oh, up. Oh, no. Mm-mm. That was another thing. So at, at the funeral, that playlist you guys had. 
whoever made this playlist, come on. <laughs> yeah. It was hard enough as it was, but. Um, you know, actually that reminds me, I should, tell, uh, I should tell everyone listening, if they're still listening by now, that uh, the secret song, I forgot that was my housekeeping tip thing about the beginning, but at the end of our last, uh, our last episode, Dom asked me about the, the music we were gonna play. And I gave him three of the songs, not the playlist, but like the songs during the, the ceremony. And uh, the, <laughs> didn't even mention how terrible, like how much that playlist will destroy people. But um, I had mentioned that the songs during the ceremony were gonna be pretty, you know, tear jerkers and with our cousin singing one and mom's best friend and daughter singing another. Um, the rose playing. And then I said there was a secret song <laughs> that I didn't tell the listeners. So I now's the time to tell the listeners what the song was if they didn't listen, if they didn't watch the, yeah, I the wanna, ceremony. I, wanna, I, you know, I know the song, but which one was the secret one? The secret one was uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow by Sam, oh. performed by Sam Harris. That oh. was the song. Yeah. yeah, that was a tough one. All of those were really tough. <laughs> they were, um, the, when that came on, there's an element of silliness to that song as well. Yeah. Um, and well, so... She, like, she, loved, she loved Wizard of Oz. She loved that movie. Yeah. Well, and it's cheesy. It's cheesy as hell. Specifically, Sam Harris doing it is cheesy. Yeah. Yes. When we listen to that song hundred times driving to and from Alaska at least a hundred times so we fell in love with Sam Harris that performer specifically because we loved this tv show Star Search oh I, I didn't remember that yes and he he was he like won or whatever like he was our favorite guy he was like our favorite competitor and he won Star Search which was hosted by was hosted by someone great who I can't remember right now, um, like a game show host kind of a host. Anyway, so that's where we figured out that we loved Sam Harris, and then we listened to that while we drove to Alaska, and then we drove back. Yeah, that that the memories of listening to it to Alaska and back were, overtook any memories beforehand of Star Search. So now that you say it, it sounds familiar, but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the playlist was uh, designed, I think, to be really emotional. The playlist, the slideshow, yes. the setup, there were tons of flowers, yeah. uh, all of it. Just, that, that was, every time I thought I'd get, I, got, I had a handle on myself, uh, I would, I would, you know, a new song would come on or a new photo would show, and uh, that, that was rough. And then once you get past that, then you realize you're in a room with like 12 people and, and all spaced out, and then you're like, oh, I'm crying all over again. Yeah, that was a, it was a hard day, but we also finished it up with swimming um, at your house, which, and good Mexican food and daiquiris, and so I feel like that was like the break and relaxation, at least that I needed. Um, I'm sure the rest too of the of the fam. 
Well, being uh, that I don't drink, <laughs> and being that I'm relatively new to being clean, um, you know, it's not like I have years under my belt to handle tough situations like that. But I was able to rely upon a lot of what I learned through the program and through people in the program and stuff and lean on it to get through a lot of this without using or, or drinking or anything. Like, you know, could have easily drank. We had alcohol-free pina coladas for, for those of us that didn't drink and stuff. So it was a really great time. Um, but that, that's one of those, uh, we still have actually some of it, but we're gonna, we just took out the pina colada stuff to drink with my kids today. Oh, that's fun. I think you're, the fact that you've been able to remain sober um, in all the ways uh, through the suddenness of mom getting ill and the sort of drama of her in the hospital, the, you know, the two weeks that she was sick and her passing and the funeral, all, all of that, you know, um, is really remarkable. I think it's a testament to uh, NA and, and the stuff. You know, I'm not, I don't, you know, I know a lot of people think, oh, it's like a cult or whatever, but it was the, one of the, it kind of let me know early on, like, hey, this isn't promising you anything. It's not promising you, you know, success and everybody's going to be well around you or anything like that. Like, the, what it's promising you is, is the, how that you can learn how to deal with life on life's terms. And so that's what I just kept telling myself, like, this is life. This is, it's messed up. It's ugly at times. It hurts at times. And you have to deal with it on its own terms instead of, you know, shrinking away and, and ignoring it or not dealing with it. And, you know, so... And, and part of it's also just, well, I could have a drink and then that's, but I know where that road takes me, so. Well, I'm impressed and I think you've done great work um, on yourself. It's, it shows, I should say, which is a little bit of a diss on you before, I assume, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I did come to terms with that too, so. It's great. I mean, it helps. It helps. I think me, it helps everyone in the fam. So I think, um, I think that's been, at least for me, uh, the ability for, to be able to talk to, to my brothers sober has been huge. Uh, so I appreciate that. Good, good job there. Thanks. Thank you. The thing I realized and doing and, and sharing it and stuff is, especially these days with so many people dying from COVID, that the stories, you know, the losing someone to COVID is not unique. Losing someone is not unique, but every experience is definitely unique. And so I feel like sometimes there's this feeling of like, well, yeah, I lost my mom to it, but you know, what are we up to like a quarter of a million or something people have died from covid um but and just i think just going through this conversation with you you can see in how many ways it is unique 
um, because it's not necessary that this person died from COVID. It's who was this person before and what did, who, what did this person leave behind? And the people that are still here, like um, it, all of that is very unique. And so I, uh, I've learned to kind of accept that it is special. It is a special situation. Every, every person that's been lost has been a very unique, special person. Kevin Phillips talking to his sister, Lisa Phillips. Thanks to Kevin and Lisa. And if you want to get in touch again with us, the place to do it is COVID, C-O-V-I-D, at G-R-R-L.com. Drop us an email and we'll get back to you. This was recorded on Tuesday, the 18th of August, 2020.